Welcome to Scripture Uncovered, a podcast on the Bible brought to you by Logos Bible Study and LogosBibleStudy.com. This week, we've launched our annual summer sale in the online classroom. Get 50% off all online courses from now until the end of August. Go to LogosBibleStudy.com and click on Online Classroom to view our course catalog. At checkout, use coupon code SUMMER2018 and get 50% off. That's coupon code SUMMER2018 at checkout. Now, time for the show. Here's your host, Dr. Bill Creasy. Hello, gang. Bill Creasy here with this week's episode of Scripture Uncovered. Last week, prompted by the Feast of the Assumption, I began a three-part podcast on Mary, the mother of Jesus, focusing first on the Annunciation. Now, we had learned that Mary's yes to God not only demonstrated her great faith, but also her great courage. With the Annunciation, Mary was the first person to say yes to Christ and to place her faith in Him, trusting that God would equip her to serve as the mother of God's Son. This week, I'd like to explore Jesus' birth and His childhood, coming at it from Mary's perspective as Jesus' mother, and in the process, learning about Mary's role in God's plan of redemption. So let's turn over together to Luke chapter 2. And let me read to you. In those days, Caesar Augustus, the very first Roman emperor who reigned from 31 BC to 14 AD, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. Now, parenthetically, this was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. Quirinius was governor from 6 BC to 9 AD. So it's not surprising that the first Roman emperor would want to know how many people are living in the empire. You need to do that, we do today. We take a census every 10 years here in the United States, but government needs to know how many people, where they are, so they can plan for the various uh, civic things that are necessary for running an empire or a nation, for building roads, for infrastructure, for military purposes. So not unusual that a census would be taken. Now everyone went to his own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. So Joseph is going to travel from Nazareth to Bethlehem, about a hundred miles, in order to register for the census. Now we might think, why would you go back to your hometown to register? Well, here in our country, you register to vote where you live, where your permanent residence is. If I live in Los Angeles, I can't vote in San Diego. If I live in San Diego, I can't vote in Los Angeles. I have to register where my permanent residence is. So Joseph was a permanent resident of Bethlehem. That's where his family had been for many generations, and that's where he has to go to register. So Joseph and Mary set out for Bethlehem. Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, because that's where his family was from. 
and he went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. Now, while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. Well, I guess Mary is well along in her pregnancy, pushing into the ninth month, and she's going to make a journey all the way, 100 miles or so, all the way from Nazareth to Bethlehem. Now, we often picture her riding on a little donkey. Well, she wouldn't have ridden on a donkey. Have you ever ridden on a donkey? It's not a pleasant thing. It's like riding a motorcycle with knobby tires down the freeway. No, Mary would have been in a cart and a donkey would have been pulling the cart along with their luggage. But it's a long way. Although the Roman roads were quite, quite good, it's a bumpy ride. So no surprise, I suppose, that when she arrived in Bethlehem, she gave birth. Now, she gave birth to her firstborn, a son, and she wrapped him in swaddling clothes and placed him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. So with the census going on, many people were traveling, and once they got to Bethlehem, there was nowhere for them to stay. All the Holiday Inns, the Hilton Inns, and the Sheratons were full. So they had to stay elsewhere. Now, realistically, when people traveled in the days of Jesus, they would stay at a caravan sarai, a place where travelers could stay spaced about a day's journey apart, maybe 30 miles, 25, 30 miles apart. And you would stay, you would have your animals in a courtyard, uh, you would be given food and, and supplies, and you could buy them there, and you would stay with a group in the courtyard. Well, Mary is pregnant and about to give birth. So imagine the innkeeper. You know, we so often think of him as a bad fellow. Oh, there's no room in the inn here. Go away. But no, he was quite compassionate. Mary was clearly in distress. She's going to give birth. So the innkeeper took them around back to his own private stables, a place of privacy where Mary could give birth to her child. And I imagine the innkeeper, the innkeeper's wife, would have been there as a midwife and helping out. In the courtyard, where all the people were, oh, there might be 50, 75 people. So it was a very compassionate thing for the innkeeper to do. Once the baby was born, he was wrapped in swaddling clothes and a little blanket and placed in a manger, a feeding trough. A manger from the French manger to eat, a feeding trough. And there they stayed. Now think about Mary. How would you feel if you made a 100-mile journey in a donkey cart all the way to Bethlehem? There was no decent room to stay in. You were in the courtyard with all the other people, and you're giving birth. Well, it would have been fine to be in the stable out back, privacy, quiet. But wouldn't you might think, you know, I said yes to God. I'm going to bear God's son. Why, well, you'd think I could have a, a suite at Cedar sinai Hospital. 
But no, here I am in a stable. You have to think of the humor of it as well as the seriousness. She gives birth to the son, to Jesus. And then we read at verse 8, there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. Shepherds' fields are down uh, the cliff from Bethlehem in a little valley. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone round them, and they were terrified. And the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord, the Anointed One, the Messiah. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. Well, the angels left and the shepherds made their way up to Bethlehem. And it wouldn't have been hard to find Jesus. After all, there weren't that many babies being born right at that particular time in Bethlehem. So they found him. Now imagine again, Mary. The first visitors were not important people, not the mayor of Bethlehem, not kings or princes, but shepherds. Shepherds, an occupation that was the lowest of the low. Humble men who appear. What a tribute to the Lord. What a tribute to Mary. Shepherds appearing first. Well, Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. Pondered them in her heart. The Greek word for ponder is symbolo. It's not to gently consider, but to wrestle with, to struggle with. Mary is trying to make sense of the whole thing. Yes, she's going to give birth to the Lord. But the trip to Bethlehem, the stable, the manger, the shepherds. She went over these things in her mind. Well, on the eighth day, when it was time to circumcise him, he was named Jesus, the name the angel had given him before he had been conceived. And when the time of their purification, according to the law of Moses, had been completed, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, as it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord. So he was circumcised on the eighth day and presented at the temple on the 40th day after his birth. Now, when they appear at the temple, 40 days after Jesus' birth, Mary is to offer a sacrifice. A sacrifice. We read about it in Leviticus chapter 12. And what does she make? A bull? A perfect unblemished lamb? No. A pair of doves or two young pigeons. That's the sacrifice, the offering of poor people. Anyone with means 
would have sacrificed a perfect unblemished lamb or even a bull. But she offers a pair of birds, the offering of a poor person. How do we know that Joseph and Mary were a poor family from this sacrifice? Now, as they appear in the temple, there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout, and he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him, and it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Christ, the Lord's Messiah. So moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. And when the parents brought in the child, Jesus, to do for him what the custom of the law required, the presentation of 40 days and the sacrifice, Simeon was there waiting. Now Simeon's an old man and he knew, he knew that he would not die before he had seen the Messiah. Well, he's an old man. It's a limited amount of time that he has left. And I would imagine every day Simeon went to the offices at the temple because when you make present, you present a child, you need a a priest there to officiate at the sacrifice. So you have to get on the schedule. You can't just show up. He would go to the office and check the schedule. How many women are presenting children today? And how many could there be? Maybe three or four a week? Maybe 10 a week? Not a great number. But he would go when that presentation was scheduled and he would believe completely that he would recognize, he would recognize the parents and the child, the child being the Messiah. And sure enough, Mary and Joseph came in with Jesus, only 40 days old, a little over a month. And Simeon took Jesus in his arms and he praised God saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all people. A light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. Well, Mary and Joseph marveled at what was said. But then Simeon continued. Simeon blessed Mary and Joseph and the child, and he said to Mary, now imagine Simeon holding Jesus closely to him, looking down into Jesus' eyes, little baby Jesus, and then looking at Mary, eyes meeting and saying, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against. So the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. A sign that will be spoken against. Now all the while Mary was pregnant, what were her expectations for this child she was going to bear? This is God's son. This is the Messiah. I, I don't think in her worst nightmares, Mary would ever have imagined that she would be standing at the foot of a cross with her 33-year-old son 
nailed to it. Mary did not have an easy life with Jesus, and Simeon foreshadows it. This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel. And then he adds, looking at Mary, handing Jesus back to her, and saying, and a sword will pierce your soul too. This child is going to break your heart. Oh my, imagine how Mary felt. How will he break my heart? How could you say such a thing? Look at him. Well, at that same time, there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. And she was very old, and she had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage, and then was a widow until she was 84. Now, she never left the temple, but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. Coming up to them, at the very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. So another old woman, Anna, and I'll bet Anna and Simeon knew each other quite well. They were both, both of them, waiting for this child, waiting for the family to come in 40 days after the child's birth. And they saw him. When Joseph and Mary had done everything required by the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee, to their own town of Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong. He was filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. Now let's pause there for a moment and turn over to the Gospel according to Matthew. Because in Matthew, we're given a little more information about this interval, this 40-day interval, during which Jesus, Mary, and Joseph would have been in Bethlehem prior to his presentation. We read in Matthew chapter 2, After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of, of King Herod, magi, or wise men, uh, not magicians, but wise men from the east, that would be Persia of today, came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. Well, how would they know about that? If they're living in what today is Persia, a journey from Persia to Jerusalem, a journey from Babylon or Susa uh, within Persia. Ezra and Nehemiah make the journey. It takes about a month. So when they saw this star and they read Isaiah chapter 60, they recognized that something had happened and they made the journey. Well, when King Herod heard this, he was greatly disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. And when he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers and asked about this so-called Christ, where was he? Where was he to be born? In Bethlehem, they said. Well, Bethlehem's a suburb of Jerusalem today. It's only seven kilometers south. Bethlehem. Hmm. 
Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time that star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and make a careful search for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I may go and worship him too. You have right. Well, after they had heard the king, they went on their way and the star they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. So the Magi came on coming to the house, no longer a stable, the house. They saw the child with his mother Mary and bowed down and worshipped him. And then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country. So the Magi bring gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Speaking of Jesus' royalty and of his death. Meanwhile, Herod was on the lookout. He tried to find the Magi. They were gone. Something's not right. So when the Magi had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, and he said, get up, take the child and his mother, and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up. He took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. Herod dies in 4 BC. And so it was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, out of Egypt I called my son. That's the prophet Hosea in chapter 11 at verse 1. So Joseph, Mary, and Jesus flee to Egypt. Well, that hadn't been in the plan. What is Mary thinking now? I've given birth to this child, and, and now, now we have to leave? We're going to Egypt because they're going to kill him? Didn't Simeon say this child will be the cause of the falling and the rise of many, and he'll be spoken against? And it's going to break your heart. Well, off they go to Egypt, and they stay in Egypt perhaps two or three years until Herod's death. And then they return. When they come back, they return to Nazareth, to their home. Meanwhile, as they're on the journey to Egypt, Herod realized he had been outwitted by the Magi. He was furious, and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under, in accordance with the time that he learned from the Magi. So any child born during that window of time, that two years, was killed. How many children under two lived in Bethlehem at that time? Well, we don't know, but there was certainly a good number. The slaughter of the innocents took place. Now, you might think that's not something that could possibly happen, but it could with Herod the Great. Herod murdered some of his own children when he thought they were danger to his throne. So they head back, back up to Nazareth. And there, life goes on. 
Joseph was not a carpenter, not someone who worked in wood, but a construction worker, a builder. And Jesus would have grown up in a lovely family in Nazareth, a lovely family. Imagine Nazareth, tiny little village, maybe 20 extended families. There was work in Nazareth, Sephoris, between Nazareth and Cana, it's an archaeological site today. Sephoris was being renovated, made into a very, very uh, luxurious town. And there was a lot of construction work going on there. I imagine Joseph worked there. And if Jesus apprenticed to him as a son would, perhaps Jesus worked on the site at Sephoris as well. We've been to Sephoris many times, lovely place, and a beautiful synagogue there uh, that was built sometime after uh, Jesus. But I imagine that's where Jesus and Joseph worked as Jesus was growing up. Well, Nazareth. Growing up in the town of Nazareth. And every year, every year, Joseph, Mary, and Jesus would travel to Jerusalem for the festivals, three pilgrimage festivals, Passover, Pentecost, and Tabernacles. They would go on Passover. That's the key, the big one of the three. The journey to Jerusalem. And we read in Luke chapter 2, beginning at verse 41, every year his parents went to Jerusalem for the feast of Passover. Well, there you are. When he was 12 years old, they went up to the feast according to the custom. Now, what happens to a Jewish boy at 12 years old? Well, it's his bar mitzvah, his transition, his rite of initiation from childhood into manhood. He went to Jerusalem. So on the way to Jerusalem, he would have traveled with the women. On the way back, he would have traveled with the men. He had his bar mitzvah, in effect. Now, when the feast was over, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but his parents were unaware of it. Jerusalem's very crowded at Passover. There's maybe 100,000 people living in Jerusalem in Jesus' day. At Passover, a million people are in town. Big crowds. So when they're ready to leave and go back home to Nazareth, they would meet at the top of the Mount of Olives and take the 17.3-mile road from the top of the Mount of Olives down to Jericho, from 2,500 feet above sea level to 900 feet below, a road that clings to the side of the Wadi Kelt. I've walked down that road the entire distance. I've driven it as well. And when you're going down the road off to the left, there is a vertical drop of a thousand feet. It's a narrow, twisting, windy road clinging to the cliffs of the Wadi Kelt. Well, they thought Jesus was with them because all the families would gather up at the Mount of Olives, everybody traveling north by foot, and the men would be talking and the women would be talking and the boys would be playing and the children playing. Off they went. And they got down to Jericho at the end of the day, just in time for dinner. And Mary said to Joseph, where's Jesus? He said, I don't know. I thought he was with you. No, he was supposed to be with you. I don't know, I haven't seen him. They asked all around and they couldn't find him. Oh no. 
What is the only thing they could be thinking? Somewhere on that road, from the Mount of Olives down to Jericho, 17.3 miles, with a vertical drop of 1,000 feet off to the left, Jesus fell. Immediately, they turned back. It's dark. It was Passover, full moon. A full moon illuminating the Wadi Kelp, the northern wall of the canyon, of the dry riverbed. And they're up the road, they're looking, and they're saying, Jesus, Jesus, desperately searching for him. It took them three days to get to the top, searching all the while, and he was nowhere to be found. Oh, great. Mary has given birth to the Son of God. Joseph is his father, and now they've lost him. What's the only thing they could do? Go to the temple to pray. The temple from the Mount of Olives, it's a 10-minute walk. It's only about 500 yards away. So they went and they approached the southern steps and there was Jesus sitting on the southern steps talking with the rabbis. Ah, Mary said, son, how could you do this to us? And Jesus replied, didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? Now, as I read this, I've taken both my sons, Adam and Jonathan, to all the places we traveled to, Israel, Egypt, Jordan, Turkey, Greece, all of them at least once. And I always said, if you get lost, stay where you are, stay put, I'll come find you. Don't come looking for me because we'll never find each other then. Stay where you are. Well, I'll bet Mary and Joseph said the same thing to Jesus in a town with a million people, if we get separated, if you get lost, go to the southern steps and sit down. And that's what he did. Oh, Mary and Joseph were beside themselves. And then he went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. <laughs> I bet. But his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. Again, she struggles with all these things. And Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. The very next verse, in the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, huh, Jesus was 12 years old and he enters our story in chapter 3 at 30 years old. The missing years of Jesus, 12 to 30. Where was he? Did he go to India and consult with the great mystics? No, he was in Nazareth, and I suspect we heard nothing about him because he had been grounded for the stunt that he played in Jerusalem. <laughs> you can't help but laugh at that. Well, that brings us right up to the point of Jesus, at the end of Jesus' childhood. Next week, we'll move into his public ministry, his death, burial, and resurrection. What's Mary's role in that? Now, to this point, Mary has gathered up all these things, everything we've read about, treasured them in her heart, and pondered, struggled, symbolo, to understand them. It's a difficult time for her. Oh, she had all the joys of any young mother, but she had great concerns. This child will be spoken against and he will break your heart.
And remember, Mary's only 14, 15 years old. It's quite the struggle. I love Mary in this story. Next week, public ministry. See you then. God bless you. You've been listening to Scripture Uncovered, a podcast on the Bible brought to you by Logos Bible Study and LogosBibleStudy.com. Don't forget, we're now running our annual summer sale in the online classroom. Visit LogosBibleStudy.com and click on Online Classroom to learn more. At checkout, use coupon code SUMMER2018 and get 50% off. When you enroll from now until the end of August, you will also get free access to Dr. Creasy's upcoming webinar session. Visit LogosBibleStudy.com to learn more, and at checkout, use coupon code SUMMER2018. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.